Hi, everybody. Before the show starts, I just wanted to add one thing. Today, a little bit of money talk uh, with me and Michael. Neither of us are financial advisors, so any opinions that we express are strictly our own and should not be taken as advice. Seek out a professional if you feel like you need a little help uh, in your financial corner, because I promise you, neither one of us are that. finish your beer <laughs> i'm got, i'm probably gonna get another one at some point that's fine i poured an extra tall whiskey here to get me through i, I almost I figure... went to the liquor store yeah we'll check this out so thinking ahead yeah thinking ahead thinking ahead yeah all right hey everybody welcome to much ado about nothing again this is zach and michael this is a podcast for the financially conscious the politically curious and the all things nerdy millennial uh you got two boys here that are pretty low energy because michael's coming off a full work day and i have a baby and babies are hard and i was with that baby all day wiping just so much poop so much poop poop. everywhere it's 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 just like 40 percent of the job it really i'm not even kidding man like so much that you have to do laundry because of all the poop you guys you blended into the routine well whenever i visit you know like where the conversation doesn't stop just because you have to stick something in boiling water or something like that (laughs) it's full it's folded in well i'm not kidding man babies are a real challenge like this this dad stuff it is a huge huge learning curve (laughs) <laughs> anyway, welcome, welcome to the welcome to the new dad podcast. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So swing, swing a direction here. Yeah, no. So little money talk today. Um, that's how that's how I wanted to kick it off because I wanted to get a, a money episode in the can. Um, big news, obviously the uh, the coronavirus. The what is it? C C O V I D nineteen. Is that what yeah, they're calling it? Yeah, COVID nineteen. Yes. is the number. I think so. Um, I don't know how viruses are named, but um, that um, has made its way to the U.S. Um, and the market has responded uh, the way the market responds uh, whenever there's uh, some sort of looming catastrophe or um, economic influence. Yeah. Did it, uh, how much did it dip? I think a thousand I, points. There were there was I think over two days it was oh, something oh. like nineteen hundred points. It was like a, it was like eleven hundred. And then maybe 700. How'd you respond? Did you just sell everything and put it in gold? (laughs) I've actually been in gold uh, and bullets and copper for a while now. (laughs) Yeah. At my at my previous job, I flew with this guy. He, he was from Texas, and he he was one of those um, libertarian types. And he said, "You need three things: you need bullets, beans, and bouillon." Talking about, talking bouillon, about gold maybe. bars. He was he he was one of those uh, prepper types, I think. But uh, That's yeah, just a me person, yeah, me personally, I just uh, took everything out and bought a bunch of Yu Gi Oh cards. Because I feel like those <laughs> th- those are going to come back. <laughs> uh, that's that's dystopian currency if I ever saw it. I'm off the Pokemon. I'm onto the Yu-Gi-Oh now. But uh, 
Yeah, I know. The reason it, it, that it's, it stuck out to me, because I've been dabbling into uh, the book. I don't know if you've gotten to start it uh, yet, but it's uh, J.L. Collins, The uh, Simple Path to Wealth. Did you pick up a copy yet? I have, but I thought we agreed to read the Ezra Klein one first. I've been reading them both. Oh, but, um, wow. <laughs> Sir, Mr. Well Read, Mr. High Literature. I just have a lot of downtime. Um, but yeah, um, Simple Path to Wealth, a really, really solid read. And it's one of the reoccurring books that pops up in the uh, FIRE community, the um, the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement that I've kind of been dabbling in just a little bit. And I guess the basic premise of it is, um, like the title says, a simple approach to investing in the market in that Collins argues that the best way for your average person to be involved in stock market investing is to simply be in a total stock market index. And the one that he prefers, uh, because he uh, started investing about the time that Bogle came around and started Vanguard, is the um, VTSAX, the total stock market index. You familiar with that one? Yeah. Yeah, that's um, – he, he takes the Warren Buffett line of, of uh, investment advice. He Buff- really does. Yeah, Buffett has said for, for years and years um, it's a simple decision. Um, <laughs> not, yeah, not to yeah, ham that up too much. but And he's looking at pretty basic stuff, just diversification, um, you know, long, long, longer time horizons, you know, 12, 15, 20 plus years plus. And another simple, you know, just simple angle of personal finance, just the ones with the lowest expense ratios. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just that's the same strategy as, as any other way you live your life. Just avoid, you know, needless expenditures when there's really not going to be, you know, when you look at it in long term compounded, there's just not going to be a big difference uh, with with, you know, less than one and, you know, two point five. In terms of performance, if you're getting a little bit more out of the 2.5, it's just yeah, it's just simple ways. That's that's the same kind of you know logic he applies to you know long-term, short-term investment. Well, everything for Buffett is like long-term. But anyway, yeah, jail call. His his uh, his uh, favorite holding period. You remember what he said about that? Forever. <laughs> that's right. His, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's his favorite holding period for a stock uh, forever. And um, I, I don't remember if I heard this or I read this, but uh, Buffett obviously incredibly wealthy can afford the best estate attorneys that money could buy, right? His estate planning could be just immaculate, but his uh, his direction upon his demise, uh, believe it or not, put everything in a broad-based, low-cost, total stock market index, <laughs> such as VTSAX. And if we're talking a guy about a guy who's what net worth is, what, $60 billion probably? Yeah, he's 70, yeah, $80 billion 30, in there. 40-plus, easy, whatever yeah. it is. So I thought that was pretty impactful. I'm not smarter than Warren Buffett. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and speak for you. You're not smarter than Buffett. No, so I'm not. You're never going to do away um, with the investor who's trying to beat the market, who's trying to time the market. And I and I have a feeling so many people probably succumbed to that fear aspect of investing whenever they saw the 1,000-point uh, dip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and everybody starts to sell, 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 right, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. It's it's difficult you know, not to be conditioned uh, to look at the short term. Even if you know you try as you might, it just comes down to like a matter of discipline, right? Like, and that's the same thing that scares people away when they see stuff like this. They're like, "Oh man, 
Like, I'd be so bummed if I woke up one day <laughs> and my 10 grand turned into four grand. It's like, yep, I would be too, bud. But that's, that's just hard, not, isn't it? You just can't really look at it like that if, if you know, it, in, in context, right? Sure, there's people out there yeah. who trade options and short shit and, and do day trading and stuff. But most of them are pretty crazy and don't make much money. Um, anyway, I think that's and honestly, in an interview I listened to recently, it had Collins. I was listening to another podcast where they actually had the guy on and was talking about his book. It was around the time it came out. And he said that um, if you can't stomach those ups and downs, like psychologically, if you're just not built to be able to see that and know that you should just keep your head down and keep pressing forward and keep buying and don't pull out, you probably shouldn't be in the stock market to begin with. Which yeah. I which I thought was fair. You know, th- there's other and there's other other asset classes. There's real estate or whatever you want to be in. But as far as not being able to deal with the ups and downs, um, you you shouldn't be in it at all. But one thing we do know that it, it's a long term game, right? It it's not short term decision making. Um, the simpler approach is the better one, and, and often the more profitable profitable, uh, because people respond by trying to get out, you get back in, and then it just comes down to market timing, which the odds have literally been measured as to whether you or somebody you run into will be able to consistently and reliably time the market, and it's literally less than 1%, practically zero, that you're going to meet someone, this a, a guru or one of the talking heads on the news that are actually able to time the market reliably and consistently. So it's just something you shouldn't be paying attention to. Um, nobody wants to think about it all the time. Uh, that's yeah. why people either are reluctant or fearful to get into the market. One, it's complicated um, to most people because that's the way Wall Street and um, financial advisors want it to be. They want it to be complicated because, well, it incentivizes you to reach out for professional help when really all you need to do is be in um, one broad-based total stock market index like VTSAX and simply write it out. At least that's what Collins is arguing. And I, t- I tend to believe, I tend to believe that, you know, since I, since I started getting a handle on my stuff uh, just recently, I've taken that approach. Yeah. And you know, I mean, and if you have to turn into a, a yes or no question, should I do it? Should I do it this way? Should I do it that way in terms of look at the long term or try to make something out of, you know, the, the short term is ask yourself, can are you going to spend 25 hours a week doing market research and going through <laughs> different pricing options and finding price actions. Like if you don't have 25, 20 hours a week to, to put into that after having experience in the professional finance industry, then just, if you're going to invest, don't count on seeing that money for like seven plus years minimum. That is no, more of easy that, decision. Sure. Yeah. I mean, ideally twice that plus that, you know, because time is always your friend. I mean, it's easy to, to be scared when this stuff happens because it's terrifying but mm. history bears out like it's we we have no precedence for a market that just totally goes in decline and stays flat and just loses people money over over 7 10 15 years it's just it's just never happened in the modern economy so i mean new things happen all the time but you know for your money it's an easy decision yeah and i i would even argue that i wouldn't even have a time frame your investment time frame should be forever you should consist, in my opinion, you should consistently be investing over your entire lifetime because even when you hit 60, 65, you have a whole nother pr- 
well, essentially a whole nother life ahead of you. You're probably going to live if you're a healthy individual to be a hundred years old is what the life expectancy of our generation is probably going to be. Like yeah. bar- if you've got barring money, any, it could be like 150. <laughs> <laughs> they had the technology; they can rebuild him. But <laughs> that's right, like Rob Lowe and Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you're if you're a young person, if you're of like the millennial generation or younger, I think you're hoping that there's a massive downturn. You're hoping for that crash because, well, it's on sale. You're gonna yeah. see them. If if you're a 25 or 30 year old who's just starting to get interested in stock market investing, you're going to see, I would speculate, just looking back, two to three major 2008-level recessions, probably in your investing career. I think that's reasonable to say every 25 years or 30 years, one comes along, right? Yeah, yeah. There's History bears that out, too. You're going to have you're gonna have a few doozies. That's just, that's just what's, <laughs> what it's going to be living in the modern economy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Zach and I, like, we just, you know, we got right out of school of hard knocks economics. You know, you go right out of college with your degree and they're like, hey, here's a shit economy. And you, you know, grow up through that, become a young adult. And you're like, you want to, oh, boy, I should pay attention to this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. I mean, in terms of investing, why someone should invest, whether you're young or you're old, it's because on this particular planet, <laughs> to have any sort of freedom, it's money. Yeah. It, it's 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 all cash driven, and that's 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 your freedom. I, I mean, def- you, I definitely get people who like hate you know the concept of like needing money. I'm down with that all the way, but yeah, you have to look at money as it's a tool, right? Like it really is. That, that's a good way to put it. it. It's it's a tool, and a lot of people look like so you have the the fire movement that i that i keep mentioning these people that are deep into this whole fire movement are saving 50 60 80% of their income yeah and that's spartan living <laughs> that is i mean that's that's like so you've frugaled back to a level that you're comfortable with you've increased your earning potential as much as you possibly could and then you're just doing the three things that uh, Colin says in the book, you're uh, spending less than you earn, you're investing the rest and you're avoiding debt. And if you do those three things, um, you will eventually become financially independent. You will eventually become ostensibly rich. Right. But people see people in like the investment community or the fire community saving 80% of their income. And they, they look at that as deprivation. Like, Oh my God, I got to live on rice and ketchup. Yeah. one that's Are you not, enjoying life? <laughs> yeah, that, that that's one that's just not true at all. But two, you have to look at how you're spending your money and and what that means to you in the in the psychological standpoint of okay, I'm not spending this on a car, I'm not spending it on the bigger house, I'm spending it on my freedom, uh, yeah. my ability to eventually step away from employment sooner rather than later, or yeah. buy uh, back those those years of my life that I would have to give to employment just to keep the day to day bills, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and we're you know generate that the passive income stream, whatever it is, you know it is it is just all about buying freedom. God, that is very uh, cogent and depressing at the same time. Can we talk <laughs> about the, um, the 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 market the market fall itself, the circumstances around the market fall? Uh, I don't know much except for the headline said the coronavirus has hit the United States, and I saw that the economy just absolutely tanked for a day. It's already on the climb. It, it is, yeah. It is definitely bouncing back. What they call this, um, should the decline continue, they call it a, a dead cat bounce. You know, you just you drop. <laughs> Excuse yeah, me? <laughs> that's right. A, a dead cat bounce. You just Someone just dropped it out the window. It hit the pavement so bad it, it bounced back up. 
um, and then it's going to wow. go back down. What what that is, without getting too far in the weeds, is of people, and this is speculative. You know, this is you talk about reading candle charts and technicals like that. It's might as well be like financial astrology. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, right now is is what would be a typical setup for uh, short sellers to come in. And so what will happen is, is they'll, you know, they'll want to buy the opportunity to earn money when the stock goes further down. So to do that, you short a stock. When you short a stock, you're borrowing the stock itself from the brokerage firm that you work with and selling it at a price and then paying it back later. So in that scenario, if you buy the stock back in the future and it's significantly lower than it was whenever the firm sold it, you make your profit. So doing that actually in the short term will generate uh, a short term increase because people are selling at good prices because they're shorting the stock. I got into the technicals. I'm sorry. So I'm going to back away from that. That's, That's okay. My but uh, but even in your own words, we've talked about this before. You do a little bit of this uh, playing around with options, things like that. And it, and in your own view, you've told me before, it's straight gambling, right? It is, yeah. In in the short term, um, it is straight up gambling. Like you can look at different strategies. There's a there's a few, you know, um, tried and true kind of the 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 old reliable strategies out there that have some interesting theories around them that kind of that bring in sort of human psychology, market psychology into the equation, which I think. Is, is maybe the only way to evaluate in the short term uh, when you're looking at stocks and indexes to trade um, on mm -hmm. margin or, or through options and, and whatnot. But it is straight up gambling uh, because you never know when the coronavirus is going to come out and kill the market. Yeah, <laughs> and th there is a lot of unforeseen stuff that you that you simply cannot control. You you really are simply guessing when you're stock picking like that. Um, and if and if uh, Jay O'Collins were in on this call, he'd probably s smack your hand for even considering it. But I, I think it's okay if it's with like your sandbox money, like as long as you're not yeah. gambling around with your retirement or yeah. you know. Like your, your 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 life savings or your life's investments or something like that. And again, like yeah, this is stuff that um, yeah, you just you have to put time into if you're or or yeah, it's total sandbox money. Um, you know, I had my you know, previous experience and finance and whatever, but I am by no means like a very frequent or heavy. I have been out of I've been on the sidelines for a while because things got got volatile. But the interesting part of, of this and part of um, so the political economy. Is the other day the Fed cut the uh, Federal Reserve funds rate um, by half a percentage point, which is fairly significant. And, and what that rate does is it, it controls basically all other interest rates uh, because that is the is the bottom interest rate that banks use to loan to one another, and that kind of is the foundation for the lowest interest rates available. And all major interest rate loans are based on that. Lowering it is is a way to stimulate the economy, right? You, it's easier to get more money because rates are lower. And so more people are going to come borrow money and spend it. And the business cycle will, will get a, you know, a boon. There's problems with that now because interest rates have been low for so long. And also it's, there's a problem because the uh, institution itself, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be independent. It's supposed to be like the Supreme Court. It, it's supposed to make decisions without inter intervention from other, you know, political entities, the executive, Congress. Of course, you know, there's going to be that sort of sunlight that cracks through the, the, that sort of influence, it's always going to be there because of the, the nature of the work they do. But the president was basically when the market's tanked, he was like, ah, let's, let's just go ahead and cut that rate. We're going to go ahead and correct this, this stuff right here, right now. But cutting mm -hmm. the interest rate is like a tool 
to stimulate the economy in a recession, we don't really have much more to cut. Or or if it's an election year, to be fair. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 100. That's that. It was transparent. There was no <laughs> real attempt to make it seem like it was anything else. And I can't believe that the the Federal Reserve actually said, like, you know, on camera, like, oh, this had nothing to do with the coronavirus. And I was like, oh, yes, this is nothing to do. And so that really, like, the day that happened, the market dropped another like 500 something points, 600 points, because it's just confusing as shit to investors. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, why is it worse than we know? Is there is a recession really around the corner? Like, what's the deal? And so, you know, everyone's freaking out, like trying to tr- this is stupid. I just have this mental image of Trump on the phone. It's all I have. The economy is my only leg yeah. to stand on. Please, for the love of God. <laughs> that, that dude's living in fear. He's like a germaphobe. And the only thing he ever managed to tout consistently that was halfway accurate was the stock market. And now the world is gripped by an epidemic. And he himself is, is clearly he wants to be nowhere near it. You know, give, give it to the vice president because he's an expert on pathology. I have no idea. And now he's just with the stock market. He'll do anything. He's just like he doesn't know mm-hmm. which side of the bed to piss on. This, you know, <laughs> how's that go? Which side of the bed to piss on? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know which side because he, he's just like, oh, my God, like everything. And, you know, he's clear he's he's looking he's looking his age but that's anyway enough about the president of the united states but if you were uh, if you were an average investor who was following jl collins model and you were in just a broad-based stock market index fund and you saw this dip to me that's incentivizing me to do everything i possibly can to get more money in there because it's on sale right i mean fucking black friday comes around and people knock each other out for a flat screen tv <laughs> but when the stock market when the stock market goes on sale People do the exact opposite. They get out. They they shy away from it. I mean, it, it's an interesting look and like the psychology of the average investor. But I mean, if you have VTSAX, for example, or the Fidel, I have the Fidelity one, the total stock market, just because I'm with Fidelity. No other reason. But I mean, you own a piece of every publicly traded company that's in the largest economy in the world, and that which is the United States, and that's like three thousand plus companies, like thirty six, thirty seven hundred companies total, right? So the ones that fail in that index drop off, and a new one takes over a fresh blood comes in and when you own a stock in a company you own that same percentage of that company no matter what the price of the stock is and the most that that company can lose is 100% of its value so if that crappy little company that isn't doing well falls off you just lost 100% of that company but here comes another one and the growth potential for that company that comes into that index is potentially limitless right they can be the next Google or the next Microsoft right. or whatever, right? So it, it, it's an interesting way to, yeah, it, why not? I mean, it's yeah. an interesting way to think about it. And that dynamic, that sort of self-cleansing that Collins refers to it as where <clears throat> the bad ones fall out and the new ones uh, come in and take over in the index is why we've seen that historical bias for growth in the stock market over the past look back of 100 years or whatever you want to look back at. That's why you can expect an average of six to eight percent return over the last hundred years yeah. or whatever your look back period is. That's why there's that constant growth and that constant expectation. It seems to always go up. And I think if ever we reached a point where it didn't go up, nothing matters. Like where your money is parked just doesn't matter, right? Yeah. yeah that's a to- that's a total that's a total uh, meltdown of the glo- global economy and that's, there's, in, that's there's too much today. money there's too much money in all that stuff like it would really have to be some sort of yeah d- dystopia scenario like yeah. there's the mar- the market's going to keep going up for the long term and even in the midterm in a lot of cases if anyone can prevent it because the people that are you know 
trading the market, I want to make money. And it's a lot easier to make money in a, in a long-term bull market. Yeah. Go, go fucking figure. I don't know, man. It, it, you've, you've told me before, um, you were reading a book and you told me like, it, I'm going to just sound dumb here, but I'm just going to start saying words that if it comes out in a sentence, that's fine. But you were telling me about how the market's traded uh, via algorithms and how it's oh, all yeah. these computers just like making all the trades. Yeah. Did, can you, can you tell, can you like remind me of what you yeah. were trying to tell? Sure. Yeah. High, high frequency trading. And that was the, that belongs to Michael Lewis, Flash Boys. That's uh, Michael Lewis is a very good uh, explainer of, of financial issues and storytellers. Uh, he's, he's just, he's really, really good. So pick up a Michael Lewis book if you want to read about interesting finance stuff, if, if you're so inclined. But anyway, the uh, central story here in this book, Flash Boys, was the, I guess I'd say less than five year period when high frequency trading probably longer than that. Anyway, when high frequency trading kind of developed as a revenue stream for the private industry and how they, you know, the investment banks, they skirted uh, regulations and sort of cheated in the margins a little bit to get ahead and to to get that little extra edge. I guess that that story is less important to the, the explanation itself. But what Zach is referring to is how they would hire these applied mathematics guys, usually Russian or from the, the Middle East, uh, for whatever reason. And uh, they would come in and, and write these algorithms that were triggered based on price points and market volatility. Um, it, it was just all numbers. You know, if, if, if this gets here, then I do this. If this gets here, then I do this by this much. Just big, complicated algorithms that whole computers when to make trades uh, at, at extremely fast speeds. And that allowed uh, them without getting again too much in the weeds here to kind of get ahead of everybody else and get a little bit more every single trade. And that's when the high frequency part comes in because they would trade in and out, in and out, in, in different markets, getting routed by another central market. It's a little bit too much to go into, but, but either way, they were using computers. The highest internet speeds was was what got you your, your, your profit. Uh, and it got to the point where they were buying up real estate in places that were physically closer to put their servers to the New York Stock Exchange so that they huh. could... Yeah, and they all had you know the same you know juiced up fiber optic networks to actually connect to the internet. So they actually wanted to get physically closer because that did do something. They got like tenths of a second out of that. And when you're trading billions, like, you yeah. know, that's millions a day, you know, right. that's, that's yeah. you're making in for, for nothing. Cause they, they do, they, you know, they, these guys would write these algorithms and then there'd, you know, be a small team and there wasn't really a ton of overhead. They were just wringing all this money out of the markets, but eventually so, got taken well, down. But Right. So question, what were they trading when, when, when they were doing this? Like, were they picking stocks, like individual stocks, or were they just trading like every single thing? It was, it was probably indexes. Yeah, I think it was like mutual funds, indexes, maybe some stocks in there. But the, the game was, for them, it was a little bit, it was kind of, again, it was really in the margins. Part of the money making happened when they would and this is what they got in trouble for, inflating a, a price of a stock by having the technology and the speed to contact a market maker, a uh, digital market maker, you know, which is what you know, all exchanges are basically these days, uh, and access looking for a certain order. And they would find a way to basically get the order and 
cancel out but sort of steal the information and then use that to their advantage to to make another little extra profit uh, but it was just you know standard stocks futures you know commodities I, I think it was a little bit of everything but the point you know it was when you're trading at that level when when you're trading those sort of you know contracts and those sort of derivatives it's like you're not really trading anything at all right they're just like numbers on a, on a screen and, and, and mm-hmm. whatnot but yeah, they use the crazy, you know, high speed of the internet and getting physically close to trade in these margins. And they did it sort of undetected for years and made millions and millions. And, <laughs> yeah, Interesting. Undetected. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's really all I wanted to touch on with the, the money talk. You got any final thoughts or anything for anybody? Big ideas. Big ideas. Big ideas. Groundbreaking. Uh, it's, it's not groundbreaking, but, um, you know, for the finance stuff, <laughs> it's... This is the right time, you know, to be thinking about, you know, keeping things simple um, and to not let things like spook you in a big way. Because, you know, the virus, this could very well be the beginning and supply lines could absolutely be disrupted. And that can cause all kinds of problems. Right now, I do not think uh, anybody knows if if this is future stuff already priced in. You know, if, if the markets are, I've already looked ahead and said, oh, yeah, there's going to be supply issues saying something's priced in. It's like a, I don't know, it's a, it's a stupid way to sound smart on, on Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. But it's going to be tumultuous. And like, like you said, Zach, keeping things simple. Yeah. I'll finish up here. I'll just humor me just a little bit. I want to give you just an excerpt from um, Colin's book here. That's It's pretty relevant given the recent, quote, crash we just had. He writes here, market crashes are to be expected. Uh, What happened in 2008 was not something unheard of. It has happened before and it will happen again and again. In the 40-yard years I've been investing, we've had, and from his start, uh, the recession of 74 to 75, massive inflation in the late 70s and early 80s, the now infamous 1979 Business Week cover, the death of equities. No idea what that's about. Uh, The crash of 87, including Black Monday, the biggest one-day drop in history. Brokers were literally on the window ledges in more than a couple took a, took the leap wow uh the recession of the early 90s the tech crash of the late 90s 9-11 and what he calls the little dust up in uh 2008 point he makes here the market always recovers that's just always. condescending yeah <laughs> it is uh the market always recovers always and if someday it really doesn't no investment will be safe and none of this financial stuff will matter anyway which we talked about the dystopian um outcome of that yeah. um In 1974, he writes, and humor me on this one, this just kind of reflects the power of it. The Dow closed at 616, I guess, points. At the end of 2014, it was 17,823. Over that 40-year period, it grew with dividends reinvested at an annualized rate of 11.9%. If you had invested $1,000 and just let it ride, just left it alone, it would have grown to $89,790 as 20. 15 donned um an impressive result uh through all those disasters above so you're gonna see crashes you're gonna see pullbacks you're gonna see media panic but if you just fucking keep your head down keep it simple you'll be fine and find a good bullet guy you know find a good copper guy (laughs) yeah uh bullet bullet what was it beans bullets and bullion and yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh cards or probably be your Yu-Gi-Oh safe cards yeah and if, if or, or instant dry food oh man if you find a good guy for cheap dry food you're in <laughs> you're in it now 
<laughs> Let's talk about Super Tuesday. Biden's uh, Biden's comeback. He's Biden dirty. His uh, his I'm Joe Mintum. Uh, <laughs> hang on. Okay, yeah, please pull it out. Uh, you were you're always impressive with this. You just all of a sudden you get on a rip. Where did uh, Diamond Joe come from? I don't know. <laughs> Jobel warming. Uh, the board. Born by identity, uh, he hit a Joe run, and that's where I left it because it just kind of got silly from there. Biden dirty is that one I'm gonna take with me if you don't mind, sir. <laughs> Hope that's free of charge. <laughs> I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> but I mean, it would. God, he he really rallied hard, and we talked a bunch of shit about Biden. On yeah. The political sit down, didn't we? We did. I mean, you know, he's like he seems vulnerable to seem like like a, you know, kind of a. A daughter, a dotting old man, and I, I think he's uniquely positioned to have a hard time with Trump. I, I tend to agree. He's just not been strong. He's not been a strong debater. Yeah, he did great in South Carolina. I don't know what if he just dug in and, and really and really showed out because he was comfortable there. But his campaign hasn't exactly been the most organized, from what I gather, listening to people who know more than I do about the stuff. Um, and I, I, I am genuinely, genuinely concerned. Um, if he's the one who's best poised uh, to beat Trump, who will just get on stage and he's an expert troll and they're both going to have senior moments. But th- he is. He's just going to fucking he's going to get That's, that's how up. the election will be decided, who has the least number of senior moments. Isn't that's that, how uh, the country will pick. It's like <laughs> Bernie and uh, who is he arguing with about their stints they had in their hearts? Two old New York yeah, Jews arguing about their heart stints. It's like, uh, how does this keep happening? But <laughs> old Diamond Joe, Biden dirty. He definitely, that, I mean, South Carolina, like he really crushed that. Yeah, and, really what, and whatever happened there, there's still like 34 states, you it's, know. It's, it's the black vote. He does so yeah. well with the black vote. He, yeah, he, he just he absolutely it. crushed it. It, it. It's been proven. Time and time again, you have to have the African American vote. Yeah, and that's what, again what makes the primaries the system so bizarre to me. But for you know, and so now it's a tidal wave of of you know Bernie despair. But it's kind of close to like 50-50 now with Biden with a little lead with the delegates. I think you know, and that's with Warren in. Um, I don't know what she's doing in the race, but Godspeed. But you give her delegates to to Bernie, and he's a little bit of ahead. And, and there's still. Do you, you know, think that? Uh, do you think that's the way it would go? If she dropped out. She would endorse Bernie. I think so. Maybe that's tough. Like I, I know it's hard, isn't it? It it is hard. Um, I think oh, I think Bernard it would have served him well in South Carolina to be a little more magnanimous and be like, I am the front runner. We need to focus on getting everyone behind me. Why can't you listen to the people? He kept on message with you know the political yeah. insurgency, and that doesn't he kept, hurt, he kept, fail. He, he kept his unity message. I thought this is, this is all just posturing. There's Michigan. Washington State, Arizona, Florida, Illinois. I mean, that's going to be pretty Biden heavy. New York. God knows how liberal. I have no idea how liberal people in New York are anymore. <laughs> they lost Bloomberg. I mean, yeah, maybe they're, that's going to be some sort of, yeah, that'll affect it, make it some kind of anomaly, whatever. New Jersey, uh, New Mexico. Bernie does really well out west. Uh, Wisconsin. He Bernie needs to show up big, kind of like shockingly big in a Midwest state. Yeah, he really does. Like Wisconsin, he? Michigan. Illinois, Pennsylvania. Who carries the most delegates uh, going forward to next Tuesday? Do you um, know? New York. I, New York. 274. What about uh, Wisconsin? Uh, they got 97. He lost Michigan, right? Michigan hasn't happened yet. 
Michigan hasn't happened yet. So Michigan and Wisconsin. Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's not over till it's over. Um, it's not was... over. It's not over till it's over. And you know, it's it's delegates are proportional. So win or lose, it's like there's cases where it'll. I think it's like New Hampshire. It says Bernie won, but they both got nine delegates. So it's a matter of by how much they're winning. You know, like that's it. So there's still I mean, California is still counting in. If there's like a momentum shift like that could be more for Bernie because they've got like 400 plus delegates. And So help me understand something. Like I said, I'm just starting to follow and try to understand this whole process. So right now it's a game of delegates, right? We get to the general election candidate X V Trump. The popular vote, I gather, doesn't mean anything. Is, is it a, is it another game? of delegates like we're moving forward with now or is it how does how it really determine because so, we we all know that hillary won the popular vote yet right we're, we're stuck with the orange man so right right the orange man and the suit and the red tie so the elect the, the electoral college is what ultimately decides right. yeah the, who the, the president's going to be and where the votes the elect the excuse me the electoral sort of points are assigned a quick rundown. Uh, ironically, that system was designed by the framers to prevent foreign influence on our elections. Um, <laughs> ironically. Uh, so the, the the electors of each state who represent the population, so it's population-based, so like, you know, California's got like 50-plus electoral votes, uh, uh-huh. but Colorado's got like nine or ten, right? States sometimes have different laws and how those uh, votes are ultimately allocated, but the vast majority have long since passed laws that say the, the popular vote of the state is going to assign the delegates to, to whomever to you know, or make, make a popular choice in the state and then have the electoral college be the filter, sort of. And we have to get to 70 to win, right? Anyway. Wait, you, have, you have to get to what to win? 270 is the number. That's how you have to have 270 um, electoral votes uh, to uh, become president or to win the election. Ah, who, who's casting these votes? What What uh, is the electoral college? So they they are just like their party inside. I don't want to say like insiders, but like state political officials and and longtime workers, what have you, administrators. I can't recall how you are chosen to be an elector. They still do possess the right to vote how they want. They, I think in some states, they still have the right to do that because, again, the Electoral College was designed to protect against populist insurgency uh, campaigns that were influenced by foreign powers, which is, again, crushing Here irony. Here we are. Yeah. Crushing, crushing irony if you uh, believe all the news and don't believe so much in fake news. But anyway, so that what that does is that makes like 50,000 voters the most important people in the uh, presidential election. And they all live in Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin and sometimes Florida and sometimes Ohio. Seems reasonable. It's yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, it's just urban clustering. You know, people want to go live where the quality of life, the opportunity there is different, you know, where there's more jobs, there's more uh, productivity possible. Mm-hmm. But we capped the uh, number of, of Congress, of, of representatives we'll have in Congress uh, back in the 50s, maybe. So we, we stopped the proportion that was originally designed in the Constitution. So now we have this little bit of a, an imbalance that's occurring because there's so many people packed in these districts and we won't make any more. We just reportion them, but that doesn't really quite do the uh, the, the job as, as good as it could be, as, as it would be if we just added more seats to, to the House of Representatives. Did that happen when? In the 50s? 
I think so. Maybe even earlier than that. Uh, and I really do not know the reason why maybe real estate was getting too expensive and I didn't want to keep building new office buildings. Um, <laughs> whatever the reason, you know, like uh, the English Parliament, they've got like yeah, a we, 900 we plus members and they've got like a far less population than us. Like, So we, we just we just stopped growing that representation for whatever reason. I'm sure that there is some sort of uh, another crushing ironic historical context if we went back and, and, and saw why that that came to be. But yeah, for whatever mm -hmm. reason, and that's like, that's an old, old constitutional uh, guideline, how the electoral college or how members of Congress would be assigned to the, the number of, of people. It's like 30,000, like James Madison himself wrote out some calculus and he's like 30,000 people. Yeah. One, one member of Congress, but right. that doesn't really jive anymore. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Of course, back then, we were all just going to be living in giant states as as white farmers who <laughs> make our own food and and grow our own our own vegetables and are totally subsidiary. Anyway, yeah. Electoral college, primaries. Uh, there's these weird filters and you know processes that we we adhere to today. We we want to keep using today. That kind of you know they they obfuscate. They they kind of blur like what we think is on the ground. You know, like what or what the voters want, what the people want, that kind of thing. It's probably why we get so partisan. You know, I feel like we're not making all the decisions. Could be. I mean, reading Ezra Klein's book, there is a lot of reasons that we're partisan. Boy, that is. How far into it are you? Uh, probably like 80 pages. 80 pages. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm about the same spot, but it, it's heavy stuff, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's really early on. It's like ah, oh, the, the the problems we have now with the, the partisan divides is because of the civil war and the democratic party. Like what? Yeah. Like, like, and you know, it's not, it didn't take long to like trace the roots. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Once someone murdered Abraham Lincoln and put Andrew Johnson, a giant racist in the white house, he was like, oh, all right guys, do whatever you want down there. Just make sure you vote with my party. Exactly. And bam, yeah. done deal. And so I, what he, he had the, uh, that number, like the number of, of registered black voters directly after the Civil War was like 90, 95%. And then yep. around the 60s before civil rights, it was like 7% or something like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's pretty, Lord. it's pretty, well, it, it's, it's, it's violence and voter suppression. That's what the South was all about. And I mean, you, you were a, a Democratic uh, representative in the North. If you wanted to get anything done, whether you were the president, you had to go through all these committees where these Dixiecrats were on the committees to get the things done that you wanted to get done. So yeah. you had to kind of bend to their racial will yeah. in order to pass things like healthcare laws and public works projects and things like that. So it was just, you just had to fucking play ball with these assholes. And then the Civil Rights Act obviously was passed, and that that's where that final split, where the Southern uh, racial, racially motivated uh, vote uh, representatives were able to just join the Republicans, and the Democrats who weren't um, racially motivated in their motives were able to join the Democratic Party, free of that that sort yeah. of um, that, that chain there. Because you know, like when all this got sussed out, the Republican Party had just been born, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all I got, man. Let's wrap it. Let's play the outro music. All right. Here comes the outro music. You ready? I'm ready. Do, 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 do. Long and the, uh, 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 It's a soothing. <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah. Actually, just, just get rid of the rest and just save that. <laughs> <laughs>
Welcome to the bonus track. This is the part of the podcast that doesn't exist. Michael Thomas is going to go grab a beer. I'm going to sit here with my mostly empty glass of Johnny Walker Red, which I procured from BJ's for the uh, low, low price of $27 and change. I thought that was a pretty good price. Keep that here at the house. Um, fun fact, I have found the outstanding flavor palette that is Johnny Walker Red and Ferrero Rocher chocolates. That's my new favorite thing. I cannot I cannot hear a word you're saying right now. <laughs> well, God, he's gone. He's gone forever. Am I, am I back? Oh, there you are. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> okay, I called you Redneck Fancy. Uh, <laughs> what, what you got there? This is um, um, Flying Dog Doggy Style Pale Ale. <laughs> it's really good, and, and I love the name. Come on. Yeah, it's yeah, a good one. I appreciate you playing ball with me today. I know we're both pretty low energy. It's all good. Yeah. Mornings are def- mornings are definitely better for the alertness of these things and keeping your keeping your thoughts organized. I kind of enjoy like the the idea of like a Saturday or Sunday morning. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's an enjoyable idea. It's a good way to spend an hour an hour and a half. Yeah, it's a good way to start the day. I think get get, get gets the brain going. Yeah, get the blood get the blood going upstairs. Mm-hmm. Instead of downstairs. Got him. Yeah. All right. That's good. Oh, man. Um, What do you got got coming up at work? Anything exciting? This is just like the busy time. It is. um, We're kind of racing to conference in May. And I don't, we don't do as much with that because we're, you know, the DC office. But still, there's a lot lot to do there. And then our, our normal activities. So it's March and April are always super busy. But I get to go to New Orleans. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you yeah. get to uh, get out and enjoy it? I I think so. I think this time it'll be a little better. Um, last year was Los Angeles, and I, I couldn't tell you anything about that city after being there for conference because their conference center is just like they built out this little world for conference centers around it. So you're just I, I'm in a floating piece of concrete in the sky like there's no personality here. Boy, that that city is a bit much, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it really is. I mean, we were by like. We were not far from like Skid Row. We were not in great parts of it because again, it's just like just got just nothing but guys in dark suits with the same like haircut, just walking around doing different <laughs> conference shit. Yeah, I spent time there uh, in a previous job. I spent a lot of time in Burbank, and God, I, I was just not a fan. I didn't I didn't have a good experience. One, I was there for work, and that work was god awful. And two, I just didn't enjoy the people. Like I don't know, everybody seemed. This is gonna sound stupid and. and but everybody seemed fake, you know what I mean? You would live in a studio apartment, but you would drive a fifty thousand dollar Mercedes, and it was the the pretension and the rudeness of that of that at least the area that I was in. I'm sure yeah. LA's a perfectly fine city. I don't mean to disparage anybody from there, but I, I just did not have a good experience. No, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you know, I, it's it's true though. Um, I always thought in Colorado there were a lot of people from from Southern California were out there. Like, I don't know why just there in Texas, um, and Washington state, a lot of people from there end up in Colorado. People from Cali are soft. They're just, they're just West coast. People are a little bit soft compared to (laughs) the East, the other salts of the earth, like Midwest, South and East coasters. And that's why I think that's, it's probably the East coasters. They probably just like moved out West and like took over like all the major industry. And like, they're the ones at the top is some guy from like New Jersey or like Philadelphia or some shit like that. 
Well, it's a good thing that uh, we're isolating uh, the entire city of LA from our listener base. Yeah, sure, well, no, nobody, nobody, nobody's going to find this part of the podcast no, anyway. But if they, but if someone who loves LA does, this is like this is catnip because they're all self-hating. You know, they're just <laughs> they're just swimming in their self-loathing, <laughs> trying to be someone they're not in that fake fake city. Uh, <laughs> guys, speaking of speaking of cities, Nashville took a took a wallop, didn't it? It's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty tragic looking at the pictures and everything. That was so surprising. I mean, yeah. when I woke up and you had had that text to me, I was like, oh, it just really took me. You know, usually, you know, you pay attention. I pay attention anyway. Never like really rough weather's going to go through. But even Brian, he was like, I was seemed like nothing was really going on. Then all of a sudden, bam. Yeah, um, my sister's work is just gone. Uh, DCA, one of the schools there, is just not there anymore. Yeah, we like it's it's wild around grew up around that place i mean there's there's you know houses and stuff that we've probably been looking at for years that are just gone yeah it's uh pretty tragic yes thankfully thankfully everybody in our camps was okay i, d- I don't know of uh anybody really that i'm directly connected with that was uh too too bad off injured or otherwise yeah i didn't i didn't hear anybody uh, anyone go to the hospital or anything like that i did i did buy a couple of uh those nashville strong t-shirts from barstool is, uh, that money that goes to, uh, of course, the relief. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see this. Yeah, there you go. Anyone's Barstool. Listening, if it's listening Barstool. This, this deep in this podcast, <laughs> that's my plug to help my city. I don't, I don't hear But you mean Barstool, like Barstool Sports, the yeah. uh, the the social page? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the two players, the Titans, who run a podcast that just got bought by Barstool. Oh, do they? I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, Taylor Lewan and. A guy named Will Compton. He's not on the team anymore, but he used to be like a linebacker, I think. Taylor LeBron, really cool. 